Psalms. Um, so we're going to be studying together over the summer um, in the times when I get the privilege to preach um, the parables of Jesus from the book of Luke. So if you have a Bible, you can turn to it, or if you have an app, you can do that. It'll be on the screen. Um, Luke is in the New Testament, like the last three, like the last quarter of the Bible, Matthew, Mark, and then Luke. This is chapter 8. Or I would encourage you just to listen, because for thousands of years, the way that God's people got the word was just by hearing it. They didn't have printed texts and all that stuff. Um, so uh, just listen up to what Susan's going to read for us. Um, but before we read, um, it is just a fact, and technology has continued to help us to know this, that there are many things that exist that humans can't see. That in fact, we're surrounded usually by way more things that we can't see than we can see. Uh, if you're new to town and you're looking for a beautiful place to go, I'd recommend Rinalda Gardens over by Wake Forest. And they have a beautiful collection of roses. And when you're there, if you're looking at these roses, you may see a rose and it's a beautiful red. And the reason why you see it as red is because the way that your eyes and your brain interpret the light spectrum that's bouncing off tells your brain that it's red. But there are many insects that when they see the same thing, they don't observe it as red. They actually observe a pattern on the rose. And the pattern on that rose helps them to know which of the, of the flowers to pollinate. Uh, and just because we can't see something doesn't mean that it's not there. And we may need something or someone to help us see what we can't see or we'll totally miss it. And this summer, as we walk through these parables of Jesus, these are stories about things that we can see and that we know about, farming, sheep, coins, fathers and sons, traveling, gardening. But Jesus uses these stories to help us see things that we can't see, namely what life with God looks like. And this story that our sister Susan is going to read for us is about gardening. And I didn't want to withhold Susan's reading voice from any of us, so I'll let her uh, do what I can't do, which is sound amazing while I'm reading the Bible. It's my voice, but it's God's word. <laughs> Listen to it now from Luke 8, verses 4 through 15, the parable of the sower. And when a great crowd was gathering and people from town after town came to him, he said in a parable, a sower went out to sow his seed. As he sowed, some fell along the path and was trampled underfoot and the birds of the air devoured it. And some fell on the rock, and as it grew up, it withered away because it had no moisture. And some fell among thorns, and the thorns grew up with it and choked it. And some fell into good soil and grew and yielded a hundredfold. As he said these things, he called out, he who has ears to hear, let him hear. And when his disciples asked him what this parable meant, he said, To you it has been given to know the secrets of the kingdom of God, but for others they are in parables so that seeing they may not see and hearing they may not understand. Now the parable is this. The seed is the word of God. The ones along the path are those who have heard. Then the devil comes and takes away the word mm. from their hearts so that they may not believe and be saved. And the ones on the rock are those who, 
when they hear the word, receive it with joy, but then have no root. They believe for a while and in a time of testing, fall away. And as for what fell among the thorns, they are those who hear, but as they go on their way, they are choked by the cares and riches and pleasures of life, and their fruit does not mature. Hmm. As for that in the good soil, they are those who, hearing the word, hold it fast in an honest and good heart and bear fruit with patience. This is the word of God. Amen. Thanks be to God. Let's pray. Lord, we thank you for your word. Um, we thank you that it is able to accomplish things that we can't even really begin to imagine, that by hearing it and receiving it, we can receive new life because it is your word, the living God. And Lord, it's been read, and that's all that we need. But Lord, we ask you to be gracious to us now as we consider it together, Lord, that you would bury it deeply within our hearts and that it would grow and bear fruit that lasts for eternity. I thank you for my sisters and brothers and ask that you would be gracious and gentle and powerful with us this morning. We pray in Jesus' name, amen. Okay, so we all just heard the same word, read exquisitely, thank you again, Susan. Um, but according to what we just heard, and according to the statistics in general, uh, mo many of us, if not most of us, will fail to do and to be what the passage is asking for. The desired result of hearing the word won't happen for many of us, if not most of us, maybe, uh, maybe all of us. And with many parables, Jesus doesn't explicitly explain what the parable means. He leaves it up to us to ponder over. But this one, he tells us exactly what it means. And simply it's this, that the word of God goes out. It has gone out, in fact, to billions of people throughout history. And many, if not most of us, don't respond in the way that it asked for. And every person responds differently to the same word. And the question before us this morning is why? Why is it the case that we have so many different responses to the word? Now, this is important for us because you and I believe that we are neutral observers. We deep down believe that we are sort of a blank slate and that when we hear something or receive something, that if it doesn't produce the desired result, that there's either a problem with the message or there's a problem with the messenger. Um, we, we may read a text or hear it and think, you know, the text is too old-fashioned, or it's offensive, or it's confusing, and therefore it's not doing what it's supposed to do. Or we say it's the messenger, you know. The teacher didn't resonate with me. Or they used too many big words and I couldn't follow them. Now, those are certainly real. There are challenges with the message, and there are challenges, of course, with the messenger. I hope we know that. But what Jesus seems to be asking us is not to focus on critiquing the message or the messenger. He is asking us, well, how are you hearing? Are you attending to the way that you receive this word? And what I want to look at with you this morning from this passage is why we miss what Jesus has for us. And what is it that we are missing when we miss it? So if, 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 recall in your mind how Jesus walked through this parable. 
He talks about someone sowing this seed, and he calls the seed the word of God, the message of the good news of Jesus. God is the one who, when he speaks, things come into existence. They sprout up. That's what God's word is all about. And he's not planting it very methodically. doesn't seem like a very uh, precise gardener or a master marketer of any kind. What he's simply doing is carrying a big bag full of seed and scooping it up in his arm and throwing it around everywhere. He's like a human seed spreader that's spreading it around. And in places where the, the sower would know, there's never going to grow here. And this is exactly how God is with, with the Word. He scoops up the Word and he casts it about in this abundant, sort of reckless way that it kind of just gets everywhere. Now note, it's the same exact seed falling everywhere but it falls in different kinds of soils. And Jesus is really specific to say, this is the different ways that people receive this word. And he talks about the, the four uh, options. The first is the path. Basically what he says is th this one, it gets thrown out, but it's where the farmer and everyone walks. And so it's so tightly packed down that there's no way the seed's going to go in the ground. This would be like if you spread seed out on your driveway or on the stage here or on the floor, you know, like eventually people are just going to trample it and it's going to get vacuumed, vacuumed up or swept away or the birds are going to pick it up. These are, this hearer doesn't take the message seriously at all. It just comes to them, bounces off, goes in one ear and out the other. And, you know, that, that might be you this morning. You might be hearing the word and come to something like this and say, I hear what is being said, but I can't imagine why this would be compelling for anybody. You know, Jesus is just not that interesting especially if you've spent a long time in the church and you've heard this stuff over and over again, you may just say, I just can't see what is supposed to be so interesting about Jesus. Or that may have been you for a long time before something changed. So that's the path. He says the birds come and pick it up, the devil steals it away, and nothing happens. The second soil seems to do better. This would be like if you were farming in Boone. We used to live in Boone, or if you live in Cullowee or Brevard or Hendersonville or something like that, or even parts of, of Winston, that there's a, it seems like there's soil, but a couple of inches under the soil is just a big old piece of granite. So the seed falls into the ground, and it actually becomes a really happy plant. Jesus says it sprouts up with joy. It's not a sad-looking plant. It's a very happy-looking plant because all the energy is coming up, and none of the energy is able to go down. A plant springs up a happy plant, but there's nothing going on under the surface because it doesn't have the possibility of putting down any roots. So it withers away and bears no fruit. This is a superficial growth. It's a superficial response to Jesus. It's like the path or your driveway, but with like a thin coat of topsoil, like a Christian, you know, topsoil coat on top of it. And this heart soil has some interest in Jesus, but it, Jesus isn't allowed to go down deep anywhere. Um, Jesus is maybe a good fit for your spiritual life. You know, you consider yourself a spiritual person, a person of prayer, and you like to attend to services like this or, or, or read the Word, um, but He doesn't go deep into your life. Or you may be uh, the kind of person that says, you know, I believe in God because believing in God helps me make sense of the world and I don't feel so crazy um, about thinking about why the world exists, but really he doesn't get down deep into me. Uh, I was one time having a conversation with a person who was uh, very angry with me. It happens regularly. And um, the person was using, as Kaylee Lindy would say, their out loud voice to express their anger. 
Um, so that's what we do. Or we use our passive-aggressive voice, which we don't say the words, but you know exactly what I mean. If you want to know how to do that better, we can meet and I can help you. I'm really good at that. Um, but anyway, this person was very angry and uh, they were expressing it to me. And I said, uh, you sound angry. And the person stopped me and said, I did not give you permission to talk about my emotions. I was like, oh, okay. Um, so we're not going to go there. Like, I'm not, you know, you're not allowed to comment uh, on that. Eventually, when Jesus arrives in our life, he always will arrive at a place that we will feel that he is unwelcome to comment. That he is not allowed to speak into this part of my life or tell me that I must respond. You know, he can't have my grudges. I've been nurturing these grudges for a long time, and they're starting to come along nicely, and I would rather you didn't take them away with all your forgiveness talk, Jesus. Uh, or maybe it's your anger or your resentment toward a parent. Um, you know, I think for many of us, it's just as simple as if it came down to our kid being successful or having Jesus, Jesus is just going to have to wait. Uh, our children's success is a place where Jesus is not welcome to challenge. And I wonder if we're honest, how many things, even for us religious types, Jesus is just not allowed to touch, what he is not allowed to penetrate into. Um, and then there's the thorns, okay? So there's the, the path and the rocky soil, and then there's the thorns. The thorns seem like the best result so far because it actually a whole plant uh, comes to bear and it's a beautiful plant. But as time goes by, all these other weeds have grown up with the plant. You know, if you've ever kept a garden, it's a lot of work to weed all that stuff out because the weeds always win. Just like gravity always wins, uh, weeds always win. And many things grow up in this heart that simply just seem more beautiful or compelling or secure to us than Jesus does. Uh, there's a song that says, I have a thousand half-loves well worth leaving. These thousand half-loves grow up in, in our lives and, and, and they seem more beautiful or compelling or secure than Jesus. So you might like Jesus, be interested in Jesus, have a high view of him, be very interested. Um, but at the end of the day, you don't need him. Everything you've got, you could get without him. And honestly, when I'm looking in a room full of, of, of beautiful, successful people um, that seem to be like doing your lives pretty well, I, the more I spend time at Redeemer, the more I'm like, this is how you do a Monday through Friday, which seems mostly confusing to me, but you guys seem to be doing it well, raising children and having jobs and all these things. Um, I think we have so many good options. You know, most of our lives are full of so many good and beautiful and compelling and secure options for living a beautiful life, that they begin to grow up and give us a sense that if we have those things, then we don't really need Jesus as much as we might like to have him around. When you think in a time of crisis, everything is going to be okay because, then that's one of your compelling options, and it's likely to compete with space for Jesus, with Jesus. Now, according to, to the Lord Jesus, none of these outcomes are successful in his mind because none of them bear fruit. If you put in a vegetable garden and you, it's full of beautiful plants, you may feel good when your neighbors come over that you've done a good job with your, with your garden and it looks, oh, look how beautiful it is. And, you know, then there's like that envy of like, they planted a garden and I didn't even plant. I have like one tomato and it's failing, you know. But if it doesn't produce any fruits and vegetables, it's not a success. Uh, the crop is a failure. 
Um, and, and this is usually the case in the majority of our lives when it comes to our life with God. There was actually a pastor who was a pastor for about a decade before that person ever uh, had any kind of relationship with Jesus. Uh, and his name was John Wesley, uh, who's one of the more famous and influential Christians of the last five or 600 years. If you've ever passed a Methodist church, that church exists because John Wesley existed. He was a deeply spiritual person. He preached sermons, led worship services, and yet it was a decade into that ministry before he had any sense of his need or life in Jesus. We miss the message because we're either hard or because we keep Jesus superficial or by harboring competing half-loves. But then Jesus shows us what we're missing by talking about this one other kind of soil. He says there's this good soil, in which he calls a, a heart that receives the word with a good and honest heart. And, uh, and it, it, it grows the plant and it bears food. It accomplishes abundant life. What springs up from that seed, from that word, is eternal life, marked by peace and freedom and security with God. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, all those things. But notice this. That soil does not have anything in it that the other soils don't have. It doesn't have some special trick. It doesn't have some nutrient. In fact, all the other soils are full of things that this soil doesn't have. This, the other soils are full of things, and this soil has nothing. All it contains is the seed. And that's Jesus's point, that there's nothing else going on in this soil but the Word. Life grows in that soil because the only thing in it is the seed. Uh, I don't know what it feels like for you to read the Bible. I, I, if, it, if you're like me, it's often confusing. I don't know why all these stories are in here of people doing random things that I feel uncomfortable reading out loud to my children, and I can't like, pronounce their names most of the time, right? Even after you go to seminary, you often don't know how to pronounce all these names. Um, but part of what I love about the Bible into its stories and how it talks about God and humans, is that the Bible does not teach that followers of Jesus are particularly spiritual or committed or good and honest or impressive in any way. The Bible basically says that Christians is a, per, a Christian is a person that takes a look in the mirror and takes a look at Jesus and says, I think that whatever he has to offer is better than what I currently have. A Christian recognizes that what Jesus has is better. One of my favorite things about living in Winston, we've lived here almost two years now, is bulky item collection day. If you, if you are new to Winston, you may be wondering why are there so many rolling chairs and mattresses on the side of the road when I drive around town. And that's because, about, I think it's two times a year. I think it's twice. Is it twice? Yes. One time per year. Wow, it feels more regular than that. Thank you, Jeffers family, for helping me here. You're allowed to put out any, pretty much anything that's a bulky item, and the city will come and pick it up. I'm not sure if they would pick up like a speedboat or something like that. Maybe. Somebody will pick up your speedboat if you put it out next to the road. And part of what I love about it is, especially in the uh, wealthier neighborhoods, folks from all over, particularly folks from out in the county, will come into Winston and cruise the strip with a trailer or a truck, seeking these beautiful treasures that people have cast off. And what people are doing when they're driving around on bulky item collection 
in, those, in nice neighborhoods is they're saying, even what this person is throwing away is more valuable than what I already have. And simply what they do is they just roll up and they pick it up and they take it with them. And what Jesus is trying to, to press us toward and what a Christian really looks like is someone that says, even what Jesus would be casting off is more beautiful and valuable and compelling than what I bring to the table or what anything else is offering to me. That really anything else is just a hindrance in the end to what is truly valuable, real life. What we miss when we miss the word is that we miss that Jesus is everything. That he is the most beautiful, valuable thing and, and he is worth building an entire existence around. Now, since I think that in many ways you are like me, what you have been waiting for throughout this sermon, which is coming to a close soon, um, is that, you know, that there's several kinds of bad soil, and there's a good soil, and that Jesus is going to tell us, and Chris is going to help us understand how to be the good soil, you know, how to make your life one that receives Jesus in that way. Jesus is going to tell me, for, uh, and then Chris is going to unpack the instructions for how to be the good soil problem is, this is going to be disappointing, is that Jesus doesn't do that. He actually doesn't give us anything to do in this passage at all. And he gives us no instructions on how to be the good soil. In fact, this parable, Jesus isn't saying what to do. He's just saying what happens. He's describing the way things are and the way that we are and simply saying, if you've got ears to hear, hear. And he leaves it at that. I had a boss once uh, in my last uh, position who I was meeting with, and he said, you know, Chris, some people overwork and some people underwork. And then he started talking about football. And I was sitting there thinking, well, um, he didn't tell me if I was overworking or underworking. <laughs> he just said a statement of fact. Some people overwork and some people underwork. He didn't tell me which I was or what to do. He just allowed me to search myself by saying the way things are. And what Jesus is doing, the reason why we're doing this parable first is because it kind of sets the stage for the others. What all that Jesus is doing in these parables basically boils down to one penetrating question. If you're only going to listen to one thing, only listen to this. All that Jesus is doing in these parables boils down to one penetrating question. What will you do with this Jesus when he lands upon your life? This Jesus is the one who the Bible calls the Word. The Apostle John says that, that Jesus is the Word. In the beginning was the Word, and the Word was with God, and the Word was God. Jesus is the one who is being sown out generously and abundantly to the world. And Jesus, this Word, he is the one who was trampled underfoot and left exposed to the devil and literally to the birds of the air. Jesus is the one who came into this world as the Word, but who withered away under a scorching sun with no moisture and wilted at the cross. Jesus is the Word who was anointed on His brow with thorns and choked away by our riches and cares and pleasures. What will you do with this Word, with this God who enters the world as a seed to come and bear fruit and finds pretty much nothing but infertile soil. It's only if all you have is Jesus will you find full and real life. 
when it, when it comes down to it and you say, all that I have to hang my hat on, all that I'm going to base my security and future and hope on is Jesus, only at that point will you begin to bear fruit and to actually experience peace and freedom and safety and love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and all the rest. Now, I feel really silly doing all this because, as I said, most of us is just going to bounce off of us or not have the desired effect, maybe all of us, because after all, your life is full of very compelling options on which to build a beautiful life. But here's two reasons why this is good news for you, that you should find yourself in a place of dependence on Jesus. One, depending on Jesus frees you to not get it. If you find yourself in dependence on Jesus, you are free to say, I don't know what to do. How many other places in your life, in your family, in your workplace, in your community, are you feel really free to say, I don't know what to think, I don't know what to say, I don't know how to act, and just admit that you don't know? Uh, we never realize this when we're children, but when we grow up, we recognize that the smartest kid in the class is the kid who approaches the teacher and says, I didn't get what you just said, will you help me? Will you walk back through it again? Gosh, if I had done that with fractions, I would be unstoppable at this point. <laughs> but I didn't, and now my 10-year-old is relearning me, and she's like, I can teach it to you, but I can't learn it for you, you know? Um, <laughs> when we come honestly to Jesus, we have to admit that our soil is not going to bear the fruit that he is trying to bring in our lives. I started seeing a counselor about a year and a half ago, and about six months in, I asked him the worst question that you can ask a counselor or a therapist, which is, can I get a check-in? Like, how are we doing? And that, you were going to get a disappointing answer every time if you asked that question to your counselor. And he said, well, he thought about it, and he said, you're mostly still just asking what to do, which lets me know that you still need to be in control. But it's okay. Like, we can keep talking. Who knows what might happen in the future? Um, if the soil of our heart won't cut it, and we get to a place where we say, I don't even know the right questions to ask. How do we get new soil? How do we become different? Because at the end of the day, best case scenario is we're the thorny soil. If the soil of your heart won't cut it, what do I do? Jesus loves that question. Because Jesus is the only source of true life. Jesus is the only thing that exists in the world that can make you a new kind of person, that can give you a new heart, that can recreate your soil. He is the lone supplier of new hearts. And you'll only take that new heart when you find it to be better than what you already have. And it's a painful and a scary place to end up, but when you hit the bottom, it is the most secure and beautiful place you can be. Jesus is gracious enough with us to be honest to say none of these soils, even the good one, has the ability to bring forth life. It is only when he comes to us and arrives in us that that new life will come. And when Jesus is planted in your life and you find yourself in dependence on him, he will bring forth that life every time because he's generous and his seed always works. I want to give us a moment to just to settle on this in silence before we pray. And I want to leave you with this quote to really sum up what Jesus wants us to walk away with, I think. 
Jesus wills us whole and happy, you see. And this parable says that he will unfailingly have us whole and happy if only we don't get in the way. Uh, Take a moment of reflection. Lord Jesus, uh, we we are aware, if we're paying attention, of of just the silliness of even talking about this because we are in such great need of you, the author and giver of life, the giver of every good and perfect gift, to bring life to us. But Lord, we just pray that you, by your grace, you are consistently giving us things that we don't even know how to ask for. So we pray that you would do that, Lord that you would clear away, that you would make us new so that we could begin to feel this new life growing within us. Lord Jesus, you are the seed that fell to the ground and died. And when you fell to the ground and died, you burst forth into new life. And we pray that you would bring that new life into our hearts as individuals, as a church, as community, as families. Lord, that we would find the joy of being fruitful in you. Thank you for my sisters and brothers. Would you be generous and gracious to each of us to be our all in all. We pray, Lord Jesus, in your name. Amen.